Thank you, Robert. Good morning to everybody. What a difference seven days can make, right? <clears throat> Last Sunday morning, the auditorium was empty because of the severe cold weather and the snow and uh, extreme cold, 20 below zero that morning was what was forecast. And, and the uh, heating system, the units were all running, but they just couldn't keep up. And so it was cold inside the building and tough decision, but it was one that the elders uh, thought was the wise decision to make to cancel services that morning. But warm inside today, not just from the heaters, but warmed because everybody's here today. Great to see your faces, to be with you in your physical presence, and uh, just missed you last week. Missed you last week. Great to be together. Helps us to realize that we take a whole lot for granted, and we should not just take God's blessings for granted. And so we're blessed to have a good, comfortable, warm place to be able to worship and come together in fellowship, and we're thankful for that. And we pray that God will continue to bless us in these ways. During this first month of the new year, I've been focusing upon our relationship with God and trying to help us think about and focus upon, am, am I where I ought to be? If I need to make a change in my life and come to God through Jesus Christ, repenting of my sins, confessing my faith in him openly as God's son, my Lord and Savior, surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of my sins, then I need to take that step. I need to really focus on that. I need to think about it. And if I'm not ready yet, if I'm not fully understanding that I need to do what I need to do to get into God's word, and maybe that is just asking, can you help me study? Help me understand better, more fully, more exactly. Or maybe there's somebody who says, you know, yeah, I've, I've, I've not been the dedicated Christian I should be. And, and so I was baptized some time back, but I've not been as diligent as I should be, not as focused, not as dedicated, not as committed. And, and, and so if you need to come back to God through Christ, repenting of your sins and asking forgiveness in prayer, we want to encourage you to take that step. And we'd love to pray with you and for you. Now, I want us to continue along this particular theme today. And I've asked the question, what would you give or what would you take in exchange for your soul? In our country, we own a lot of things, don't we? We're extremely blessed. We have houses. Probably most of us own a home. We have cars. We have, a lot of us will have savings accounts or investment accounts, checking accounts. We go to stores that sell us clothes with the right tags on them, you know. <laughs> and so we have a great deal. We have food to eat in abundance, and the list could go on and on. And if we're not careful, we can become so focused on those particular blessings that we kind of crowd God out of our minds to an extent because we're, we really get focused on the material things rather than on the spiritual father. We need to remember in James chapter 1 and verse 17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And all of those things, they're not standalones. They are blessings from God. And they ought to, our mindset ought to be that these help me focus on my relationship with my heavenly father. 
Well, what would you give? What would you take in exchange for your soul? In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, Jesus actually asks this very question. He said, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A brand new car that costs us, incredible what some of them cost now. But from $50,000 to $110,000, that's not going to get us to heaven. A bigger home with more bedrooms and more bathrooms and, and wired for all of the technological you know, features that we have available to us today, that's not going to get us to heaven either. We need to have the right focus in our personal life upon God to live the life of faithfulness and that's going to by God's grace get us to heaven what will a man give in exchange for his soul what would you give what would you take is there anything have you thought about it or maybe are there some things that you are giving or taking without thinking about it because you're letting those things, those material blessings, crowd out the blessing giver in your mind. And so you're focused more upon the blessings than you are upon he who has bestowed those blessings upon you. How much is your soul worth? It's a, searching, it's a soul-searching question, isn't it? Have you ever thought about it? In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. Just how much is your soul worth to you in your mind? Have you thought about it? Your eternal life. Now think about all what, what, what Paul wrote there. We have been blessed as Christians with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What's your soul worth? What would you be willing to give up even without thinking about it? Eternal life? Uh, salvation? A home in heaven? All the spiritual blessings that go therewith? How much is your soul worth? And are you living when you say, and we know the right answers, don't we? Oh, it's worth more than the whole world. It's worth more than everything I possess. But what does your lifestyle say about how valuable you consider your soul? Because it's a package deal, so to speak. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, we find that particular question by our Lord zeroed in on in verse, six, uh, verse 26. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And what will you give, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A whole lot of people are given a whole lot of things in exchange for their soul. Because they're letting a whole lot of things in their life crowd God out of their life. Or at least put him back in the background someplace. Now, faithfulness, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness means the way you live your life uh, demonstrates that Jesus is number one in your life and even above your own life. That's faithfulness. The way I live my life, that tells the world and that helps me keep focused. 
that Jesus is number one in my life, even above my own life. Now the question might be, are you making excuses for not living that kind of faithfulness in your life? Do you keep making excuses for, well, I don't have to do this, or this is not necessary? Are you trying to explain away the lack of or the weakness of faithfulness in your life? Now, when we understand the context in which this is found, we can go back to verses 21 through 23 and, and we can pick up the context. Now, Jesus has just talked to the apostles about the fact that he is going to die. And the indication from the way he is, he is wording what he's telling them seems to be he's telling them it's going to be pretty soon. So I want us to go back to verse 21 through 23 in Matthew chapter 16 and, and look at the, the context, get the fuller context. So Simon Peter, Simon Peter, I'm, I'm verse 21, I'm, now from that time Jesus began to show his, to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was focusing on the physical. So understanding this particular text helps us to understand what he said in verses, in verses 24 through 27, and particularly verse 26. So again, he just told the apostles, I'm going to have to suffer. And not just for a period of time, but I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to raise the third day. Now, Peter, imagine Peter rebuking the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine that? But he does. He rebukes Jesus, in his mind at least, and, but he says it verbally. No, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. But Jesus focuses upon, upon his mission into this world as the Savior. He tells Peter, get behind me. You don't realize it, but, but you're speaking the words of the devil here, basically. You're trying to keep me from doing what I came to do. In Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus' mission to this world as Savior was to go to the cross to pay the price with his very physical life to pay, to pay for the guilt of our sins. Now, we look at verse 24, and, and we read in that particular text, to follow Jesus faithfully, we must take up our cross and follow him, and that means active dedication and service. So in verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. I remember, and I've told the story, I actually wrote a sermon about it, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago or so. And, and, and I may have even preached that sermon here. I entitled it, Crosses on Wheels. 
And I remember driving through the town in which I was living and preaching at that particular time, and one of the intersections was blocked off because there was a parade or a procession going by, and it was supposed to have a spiritual effect and emphasis, and, and here was a fellow who was supposed to be Jesus, I believe, and he was carrying this cross on his shoulders, but as he walked and carried that cross, dragged it through the intersection, I noticed, I said, look, it has wheels. Crosses with wheels. You know, there were no wheels in the cross. Jesus carried on his shoulder to Golgotha as far as he could carry it physically. We want, we, our crosses, we want them to be as minimal or as, as uh, easy and less difficult as possible for us. But Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, the inverse wording is found in chapter 10 and verse 38. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And then when you look in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Luke added the, 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 the word of Jesus daily. He who does not take up his cross daily is not worthy of me. If you want to follow Jesus, Jesus would be saying then, take up your cross daily and follow me. So it's every day of the week, not making excuses for not being as dedicated, committed, faithful, Monday through Friday or Saturday, or maybe Monday through Tuesday and then Thursday through Saturday, as you might be on Sunday and maybe on Wednesday night. But it's, it's daily. It's all of the time. It's a lifestyle again. It's, that's what faithfulness is. Now, Jesus' cross, his cross, was to literally die on a real cross to pay the price for our sins. That was his cross. What might your cross be? Ken, we want to... We Make things as easy as possible. But what might your cross be? What might God be expecting of you? Following Jesus faithfully can only be done actively. And there's no switch for that. So that, okay, I was active today. Now, a little later today, I can flip the switch to off, and I don't have to be as active tomorrow, that, that part of the day. Or tomorrow, I don't have to be as active as, I, as I'm being today. No, the switch is always on. It's always a life of active faithfulness, dedication, commitment, service to God and to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So following Jesus faithfully has to be done actively. There's no other way to do it. What might your cross be? Now we come to verse 25. And just as a seed planted in the soil, from a spiritual perspective, just so must we die to self in order to live in Christ. And that is a tough transition for a whole lot of people to initially make and then to consistently keep in their lives. Now think about that. Again, we look a little further here to verse 25. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now think about what he's saying there. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And then in John chapter 12, beginning with verse 24, most assuredly, and here's where he starts to make a direct application. He uses a a physical illustration that we can relate to from an agricultural perspective. But he's trying to make a spiritual application and a spiritual point. What is faithfulness? What is dedication? What is commitment? What is obedience? How far does it go? What might your cross be? His cross was a literal cross on which he died as our savior. What might your cross be? So he says, most assuredly, I say to you, again, John chapter 12, beginning with verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now think about what he's saying. You take a seed and you look at that seed. We just see a seed. If you're talking about a grain of wheat, if you're talking about a... a, a seed corn, a small little, you know, we almost look at it as a pellet, but it's, it's a seed. We just see that seed, but that's not what God designed that seed to produce. But if we just held on to that one grain of wheat or maybe barley, if we just held on to that one little kernel seed of a corn cob, and we just held on to that, it'll never become what God designed it to produce. Now the farmer comes along, he plants it in the soil at the right time and in the right way, make sure it gets the right amount of water and so on on a consistent basis. That seed dies to being that seed. And amazingly, how God has engineered that seed to become what he wanted it to become through his creation. The seed is gone, but it produces this stalk of grain, maybe wheat, maybe barley, maybe a stalk with several ears of corn on it, or all kinds of other plants and produce. But in order for that seed to produce fruit, it has to die to being a seed. That's what Jesus is saying. Once You plant that seed and it begins to grow, maybe into a tomato plant. If you pull up that tomato plant, the seed's gone. You're not going to find the seed, the plant. The seed has become the plant. And so Jesus is trying to say, if you really want to live, you've got to die to that old life of sinfulness, to that old life of unfaithfulness, and quit trying to compromise and work the two together somehow. 
As long as the seed stays the seed, the plant is never going to produce. It's never going to become that plant. The fruit is never going to be produced. Quit trying to blend the two together and excuse your blending by saying, well, you know how it is. Uh, I like this. I like No, Jesus said you've got to die to live. Basically, boiled down, that's what he's saying. You've got to die to live. Now, the apostle Paul looks at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 36 through 38, that tremendous chapter on the resurrection. And he says, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? Because Paul in this chapter, he begins by laying the groundwork for the resurrection of Jesus, but he's laying the groundwork so that we can understand that if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, obedient to him on a consistent basis, live that Christian life consistently and faithfully, then we can look forward to our own resurrection into eternity. And so he says, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And then Paul says, foolish one, and he's using the same exact illustration that Jesus used back in Matthew chapter 10. And so he says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. And so God has given us this physical body as we live here in this physical existence on this earth. But our physical body is not going to go to heaven. But God's going to give us a new body. Now, Paul does not describe that except to say that we shall be as the Lord is. And so we'll have a spiritual body. We don't know what it's going to look like necessarily, but we're going to have a spiritual body. He lays that out for us. But he says, in order for that to be, we have to die physically. This body has to die and decay and in order that we can be what God wants us to be, spiritually and eternally. So Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus put it very succinctly. The last part of that verse, he said, be faithful until death. I actually like the King James translation there, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful all of your life from the time you become a Christian on. And Jesus says, and even if it, if, even it, means, if it means giving up your life for your faith. And Jesus says, and I'll, I'll be waiting for you with the crown of life. Eternity will be yours. Eternal home in heaven. Now, so think about that. Think about that. If Christ is first in your life, the blessings that you think that a whole lot of, a lot of people think, I've got to give up so much to live this faithful Christian life. In some cases, you're saying I need to give up some friends because of their worldly influence on me. I've got to give this up. I've got to give up a lot of time and so on. Whatever you think you're going to have to give up to live the faithful Christian life, the blessings far, out, far outweigh the sacrifices if you count them as sacrifices in your mind. In Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house 
or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. <clears throat> a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I was doing a series uh, of today's Bible classes this past week. In fact, today would be the, the last lesson in that particular series. And I was trying to talk about how wonderful it is to be a Christian. And I was trying to emphasize through a great deal of that particular series, those studies, those lessons, do you realize how blessed we are, how wonderful it is to be a Christian from the perspective that I have a whole lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you thought about what a blessing that is? How wonderful that is? How they care about me? John just read a statement from his wife, how she really has benefited from that and recognizes it. We're family here at Sunny Slope, God's family. But being God's family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. How wonderful that is. What a wonderful blessing that is and how unique that is from what the world experiences around us who are not Christians. Now, what would you give, what would you give or take in exchange for your soul? Most people think from a worldly perspective, a physical perspective. And most people, when you think about that, what would you give or take in exchange for your soul? They, they think about Material things, don't they? Money, so on. Well, what would you take or give in exchange for your soul? Jesus poses the question, what if you had the whole world? If you owned it all, would that be worth giving up your soul over? Well, let's get real. You're not going to get that. Well, let's say, what if you were offered $5 million to renounce your faith in Christ, or maybe not even to renounce it verbally and openly just to become unfaithful, to do something that would be ungodly, unchristian. Yeah, get real again. You're not going to get $5 million. Well, what about maybe $500,000? Still not going to get that, are you? Most likely. $100,000, would that be worth giving up your soul over? Or what about $50,000? Or maybe $5,000? The old story goes about a, a man who propositioned a young woman. He asked her if, she, if, if, if he would give her an apartment paid for, nice clothes, food, a charge card, a car, if she would just be his mistress. And she was flattered and she, she said, yes. He said, what if I just gave you $50 a night? And then she became really upset and offended. It's what do you think I am? He said, we've already established what you are. We're just talking price now. Now you say, what, is that, what, what are you talking? What does that have to do with me? What would you be willing to give up your soul for? You're not going to get the world. You're not going to get $5 million. You're not going to get a $1 million. You're not going to get $500,000. Keep whittling it down. What would you give? What would you take in exchange for your soul? In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19, 
we follow up that question again from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So what's your price for your soul? What would you consider it even, even just, you know, kind of in the back of your mind? Would this be worth walking away from my Christianity or watering down my Christianity, watering down my commitment? Jesus said in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now what's he saying? Whatever you consider most important in life, that's where your life is going to be. So if it's focused on things of the world, you're not going to be walking with God and Jesus faithfully and consistently. You're not going to be committed 100% to your Lord and Savior and your creator, your heavenly father. You've got to make up your mind. You've got to make the distinction. So what is your price for your soul? Let's get away from the money things. Would it be prestige? Would it be promotion at work? Would it be appeasing somebody in your life who wants you to disobey your savior in some way? To become sinful in some way? Would it be alcohol? Would it be drugs? Now maybe it could be money. But would it be clothes, cars, fancy home? Would you be willing to put the price tag of anger as being sufficient to give up your soul over? Or maybe winning an argument? Would that be worth losing your soul over? Remember that rich fool? Jesus talked about, used him as an illustration. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. He had such a bumper crop one year that his barns could not hold all the produce. And so he built bigger barn. And then he kicked back and he said, soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, for you have much goods laid up for many years. And God said, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What's the price tag on your soul? What's holding you back from becoming a Christian or becoming dedicated to Christ as you should. We come back to verse 27 in our base text. The Lord has a great reward for you. If, big word if, conditional, if you'll take up your cross and follow him. Verse 27 in Matthew 16. The son of man will come in the glory of his father and then he will reward each according to his works each according to his works, each according to your commitment, to your dedication, to your consistent, active, faithful lifestyle. Dedication to God. 
The Lord's got a great reward waiting for you. In that case, eternal life with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, walking those golden streets for all eternity, entering through those pearly gates into the joy of the Lord. But, but... If you refuse to put him first in your life, if you refuse to faithfully follow him on a consistent basis, a different kind of reward awaits you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, talks about that. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that reward, surely nobody wants that. You're talking about eternal condemnation in hell. You're talking about outer darkness, cut off from God and his glory, a place of agony and misery and weeping and gnashing of teeth. The choice, it's really a no-brainer. But the devil puts thoughts in our head, doesn't he, that complicates things in our thinking. If we let him, what would you give? What would you take in exchange for your soul? The Lord's waiting. He's waiting to receive you. He's waiting for you to come to him in humble repentance, confessing your faith and surrendering to him in baptism so the blood that he shed on that cross for you can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. Are you ready to come? If you've done all that and you say, you know, I have, I have gotten weak. I keep making excuses for it, but bottom line, it's just plain weakness. He's waiting. God is waiting for you to pray for forgiveness and strength. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If we can help, we can help you in any way. Come to the Lord in whatever way you need to. Or maybe sit down and talk, pray together, study together. Please don't hold back. Don't let there be a price that even unconsciously, without thinking about it, you're taking in exchange for your soul. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?